Hey, Rockheads. The Norwegian Developers Conference is once more coming to London, December 1st through the 5th. Come hang out with Richard and me in the fishbowl, while hobnobbing with such celebrities as John Skeet, Don Syme, Scott Allen, Denise Jacobs, Damian Edwards, and many more. That's NDC London, December 1st through 5th. Check it out online at ndc-london.com. We'll see you in London. .NET Rocks, Episode 1048, with guest Oren Eni. Recorded Tuesday, September 30th, 2014. And we're back. It's Carl and Richard. In, yes, sir. Hey, man. We're in Brooklyn, still at NSBCon, mm-hmm. uh, as we're recording this. It was a while ago we were there, actually, but uh, we're recording it here. Yes. Because we can time travel. And we are making a bunch of shows, and I'm spreading them out over time as yeah. well, based on their topic areas. But this isn't a show that, you know, a month is going to matter so much. So, no. uh, Oren's here. We're going to talk about uh, RavenDB and his latest stuff. And before we do that, though, we have a little thing we call Better Know a Framework. All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, you turned me on to this Intel NUC. Yes. N-U-C, which stands for? Next Unit of Computing. Yeah. Okay. Not pretentious. Not a, I mean, it is Intel. If anybody can be pretentious about computing, it's Intel. They basically invented. So two years from now, this will be luck, the last unit of computing. <laughs> right? But I picked one up for my kitchen computer. I yeah. rebuilt the kitchen computer. Well, let's tell people what it is first. It's a, what is it, a four-inch by four-inch box? By an inch high. Yeah. little silver box made of metal, aluminum, and uh, it's got uh, a power plug, an Ethernet jack, HDMI and display port, and a bunch of uh, USB ports. It's a PC. It's a P- but it's a PC. It's i5, up to 16 gigs of RAM, up to 512 gigs of storage on an MSATA card, mm-hmm. Wi-Fi. It's a PC, man, and it's small. So if you go to tinyurl.com slash Intel Nuckbox. Nice. N-U-C box, Intel Nuckbox. Um, that brings you to Newegg, where uh, you can see this bare system. It has the CPU in it. It does not have storage. It does not have RAM. It does not have Wi-Fi. I put together um, a system for about 800 bucks, and that was fully maxed out. So the Barebone System 369. I right. added 16 gigs of RAM, 512 gigs of uh, SSD, and a Wi-Fi a PCI Express Mini Wi-Fi Bluetooth card. All of that was about 800 bucks. Nice. So, and, and as we said, it's like an inch high, four inches square. It's, it's like a little IoT device. It yeah. could be. I mean, you, you know, throw some sensors on there. It's got USB 3 ports. Yep. And uh, as Richard said, HDMI ports. It's a little PC. Awesome. Yeah. So we think you'll, you guys will like that. You should. It'll be amazing. Yeah. Richard, who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off of show 957, the one we did with Rob Connery when we were talking about Biggie. Biggie. His little data store. That was so cool. And the project he was working on as well. This is a great comment. It comes from, uh, and I'm going to botch the name because there's a lot of consonants in there. Uh, Ola Fajala. I'm going to go with that. That's a nice sounding name. It sounds uh, Scandinavian, I'm going to mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, I've done a talk a few times on graph databases, and he's talking about uh, neo for j and it revolves around what you discussed about document data and that historical data mustn't be changed. 
for right. most daily operations, being at a dispatch center, medical examination, or making a shopping list, this is mainly about a few simple things and what exists in their close vicinity. The caller, the people on the shift, or the work burden are only things like the patient, what medics this patient use, what relations are to this patient, mm-hmm. the fridge, the cupboard, what's in them, what's in the kitchen, the next few days. This data is very graph-like with stuff that relates to other things, often in an ad hoc way, and we seldom stray for more than a few nodes on our pivoting point. Yeah. Then you have what he calls temporal data, which is data that is fixed in a point of time. For example, receipts, invoices, logs, articles, but not necessarily their editing history. Mm -hmm. That's where document data base lives beautifully. Mm -hmm. And finally, you have every once in a while, like once a month for economics or once a night for production, you want to treat all that data as lists and sets. Mm -hmm. And that's where things like relational databases with tables in the SQL language are the first choice. But ever since the relational database won the database war in the 70s, Dr. Cod, that's right, we have opted for relational databases for storing everything. Yeah. So by now, we have learned to jam temporal data into either blobs or more recently JSON and relational databases or being more relational, keeping history records that messes up queries. Just so you know, Oren's cringing right now. I know. It's beautiful. Awesome. Uh, And and we do all of this just so that once a month, we can write a query. Yeah. Um, Like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we don't uh, disagree. And I I mentioned, brought up this comment because it's something Oren and I have already been talking about, like this idea that we want to put our data in the form that it came from and, and treat it properly. But mm-hmm. let's not spoil the show. Mm-hmm. Ola, great comment. Thank you so much for it. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or in any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Android, Windows 8, iOS, and Windows Phone 7 and 8. And that brings us to Oren Eni. Oren Eni, a.k.a. Allende Rahin, is the author of Rhino Mocks, one of the most popular mocking frameworks on the .NET platform and is also a leading figure in other well-known open-source projects, including nHibernate, RavenDB, the Rhino Tools Suite, and the Castle Project. Welcome again, Oren. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks for being here. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And how do you like being in New York? Uh, it's great. I yeah. like the weather. For change, it's not too hot, not too cold. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it's great. It's fall in New York City. It's wonderful. Yeah. So last night we recorded a panel discussion, which is coming up here in the .NET Rocks roster, and uh, that was great. It was great talking to you and Udi and everybody else. Um, RavenDB, you, you've got a new version. Is it out or is it nascent? What's By the-, the time that this show is uh, going to be published, it's going to be out in a release candidate with a Go Live license. Great. Uh, that represents about two years of work. 1,200 resolved issues, over 22,000 commits. Wow. Oh, my God. Yes, and over 20 people working on the project. Wow. Um, this thing's become a big thing, yeah. dude. Like yeah. In the yes. last few years, you've really scaled up. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. We just got a couple of questions from customers, uh, old customers, talking about customers that joined up in 2010, 2011. Right. And they want to move, you know, just to give you some idea, we're current, the current trio build is 3490. So 3490. Wow. The build that they're using is 888 and 173. Holy man. So you've done a lot of work. Yes. That's what you're saying. So I'm looking, so it's funny because I'm looking at what they're using, like, 
it's impossible to look at it and say, we actually released that. Yeah, yeah. So much it's stuff hard. has gone into, you know, everything since then. So what's the number one feature request or bug fix or whatever that people give you? Um, I hate that. Uh, <laughs> seriously. So I'm dealing, with, I'm dealing with databases. Yeah. That's what they do. So, uh, when you think about databases, you think about, okay, I optimization, query prioritization, mm. optimization, all sorts of stuff like that. Number one request that we had changed the studio. We used to use, uh, a Silverlight studio. So management studio, accessing, reading, managing, all of that was done to Silverlight. So it's all the UI stuff. Yes. And the, the database biggest... itself, no, no, no big changes. Oh, uh, no. no, 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 no big requests. Like yeah. that wasn't as, it wasn't as big a request for the yes, database. Yes. That stuff was the thing that everyone complained about. Wow. Right. We don't like the UI. Isn't that crazy? So, yeah. So we actually had a team of three or four people dedicated to just that for a long time. We moved everything to uh, HTML5. Mm-hmm. Uh, and along the way, we also uh, decided that, okay, now that we're using HTML5, a lot of things are easier um, from anything from you know accessing the uh, database on your phone to... Um, being able to utilize uh, JavaScript component and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, and so, the biggest change, the most visible change, would be the UI. Mm. The biggest change outside of the UI yeah. is that the way that we approach operations. So, we've basically taken a look at all of our support requests in whatever it's from the mailing list or customer support call, emergency calls, everything else. And we said, okay, here are the most common issues that we have. Now, let's see what made them into issues mm. and what made them into hard issues. Right. In other words, if there's some fundamental problem that's causing these other problems, yeah. let's try to find those. Yes. So the major thing that we figure out is, okay, either you have users. I had a user who was storing a single document inside RevenDB. And this strange, but okay. One problem, that was a 50 megabyte document. Wow. Okay. What's yes. wrong with this picture? Now there's a transaction. Yes. So <laughs> One document. And, and then I'm coming to him and says, okay, RevenB is a document database. It's not a single document database. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have one record. That's right. <laughs> but it's a big record. It's a big one. <laughs> yeah. So um, you have things like that. Um, and you have another example was... In generally, if a query takes more than 10 to 15 milliseconds in RavenDB, we consider this a bug. Mm-hmm. So we have a customer that comes and says, okay, queries with us takes eight seconds on average. Wow. And I'm like, that's absolutely shouldn't be the case. Mm-hmm. So we pull his, uh, we go to his uh, system and we test that. And indeed, that's true. Mm-hmm. And then we look at the request size. And he's querying, give me the latest, you know, 50 order or something like that. Every order is between one and two megabyte. Hmm. Right. So now just the time on the network is you need to push 400 megabyte down to the client. Yeah. yeah. That's going to take a few seconds. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, so you have things like that. You have things like, uh, actual bugs in Raven. Okay. When, uh, running on slow or, uh, 
when you're running on slow disks, mm-hmm. uh, heroistics basically meant that instead of doing I.O. and uh, running, we would do so much I.O. and we put so much stuff into memory and only then we would, we would do some work okay. because that works when you have normal disk and not stupid So you ones. got something looking at how much yes. I.O. is being used and then yes. optimizing for so, it. So... Uh, and all of that, basically, I'm giving you some of the issues that we had. And yeah. all of that had solutions. And But we didn't want to look at the actual uh, problem, that actual solution. Uh, thankfully, we don't tend to have a lot of issues uh, recurring issues in the same place. But mm-hmm. what we wanted to look at is the actual process of what we're doing yeah. and how we're discovering uh, what's going on. And almost from the get-go, we added a lot of debug endpoints into RavenDB. So you have software running in production, and it's effectively a black box. Right. It's running. You don't know what's going on. Yep. So we added a lot of endpoints that tell us, okay, here are the currently running queries. Here is uh, the uh, prefetching operation that we're doing. Yeah. Here is how much time indexing took. All of that sort of things that, you know, give you some help in figuring out what's going on. Right. And we have been making extensive use of them to figure out problem as they go along, especially when you're talking about, okay, I have a system that is, you know, it's stuck at 50% CPU or, you know, 100% CPU in production. Mm-hmm. What do you do then? If you restart the service or you reboot the machine, then you might have solved the problem. Temporarily. But yes, that's the problem. So next week it's going to be back again and... You don't want to go to customers that just reboot every 24 hours. Uh, I've, been, I've built web servers like that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's how IS currently works. Every 29 hours by default, you reset the, the machine. Yeah, the, the, the worker process yes. restarts. Yeah. yeah. So uh, and it makes a lot of sense when you think about this, the COM uh, work and C++ yep. memory leaks. We just make sure that everything doesn't I, run very long. Yeah. So it's I don't have the to problem. trust everybody to clean up their messes because yes. every 29 hours I'm going to kick it out. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but then again, we do have a server that runs for months on end. So that's mm-hmm. not uh, going to happen. So what we did, it was we added all of those debug endpoints and now we can pick and figure out what's going on inside the server. Right. We can even make some modifications. So, okay, I want you to. Uh, uh, run GC at this level now. Yeah. Yes, I know that you think that you know better. Do it now. Yeah. Or uh, I want to force a large object heap compaction uh, uh, to run, and that gives me, you know, uh, that reduces fragmentation. That means that my memory usage goes by a uh, 50% lower. All right. of those sort of yeah. things. So we had those and we made use of them, but the problem was that, okay, now you have a problem, then there is going to be some back and forth between you and me until we figure out what's going on. Right. So um, right now in Trio, you can go to your server and you go to manage your server and you have a debug info uh, section. And then you hit the button and it's going to take a while and then it's going to give you a zip file. And that zip file is going to contain... All of the endpoints that we have, all of the debug information that we need to uh, figure out what's going on in your system. Hmm. And even more than that, uh, it's also going to contain all of the uh, current work. So if you ever... All of the what? All of the current work. Current work. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So think about it. Um, how do you solve a problem not in production? You put it in Visual Studio and debug until you figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
so we wanted to get to something very much like that. So you hit this button and it thinks, and then it gives you the stack traces of all of the threads. Nice. And it gives you that in the nice graph information. So you see, okay, we have two threads that are currently doing indexing. We have one thread that is doing IO. We have one thread that is processing a request and wow. all of that sort of things. And in very visual and easy to follow way. Wow, nice. Yeah. Uh, um, that's great. Yeah. So, the so whole, are you getting customers to understand this now? Or is this mostly for you providing support to your customers? Uh, the way that it usually works, uh, you have the ops teams, mm -hmm. and then you have a someone on site that is the designated Raven DB uh, admin. Right. So we want to. So a lot of the time, uh, we want to give them the tool to be able to solve them on their own. Right. So yeah, that, I mean that makes sense. Yeah, the challenge then is understanding that data. I mean, I think back to most people can't read the query analyzer in SQL Server, and yeah. their documentation for it's shockingly bad. Like, yeah. it's it's almost voodoo to understand what was going on inside of you know. You've now done yeah. analysis of the query, it doesn't mean you know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of the things that we've done is to actually make operation easier by um, okay, you have this this data. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, let me let me throw that into a graph for you. Let me show you visually. Uh, so let's say that you have an, uh, 10 indexes in your uh, system. And let me show you the ingest and output rate of all of them. Right. So now you see, okay, I see that this one has a problem. I see that this one for some reason takes a lot longer. Right. Or maybe you have a situation where you put one document into the index and you get 10,000 index entries out. That would be bad. Yeah, and you would be surprised how often that happens. No, uh, we had. Wow. I thought it would just be an exaggeration. One document, ten thousand index entries. Uh, let me put it this way: we had a client that complained that indexing took a long time. Right. And now, the index that we were talking about covered three hundred and eleven documents. Oh man, okay, that's not that many rows, dude. Yes. Why could this be a problem? Two hours to index that. Wow. Now, the problem with that is that those three those 300 documents, uh, they, the way that they worked it, they made, um, let's say that you have a car, that you have a, a, a car and you have wheels and you have all sorts of parts inside right. that. So the basis says, okay, I want to index all of the car parts, all of the, for, for every car, let's index all of the wheels, let's okay. index all of They're the parts. They're indexing everything. Let's index. No, that, that would have been fine, except that they did it in such a way that it caused a Cartesian product. Right. So, so you multiply the number of rows by the number of elements for each row. Yes. Oh. Y yes. And you so end up with 40 million. Yeah, millions yes. of entries. Okay. And you know, it's like joining a table with no criteria. Then you join six tables with no criteria. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so yeah. it's the number of rows in this table times the number of rows in this table times the number of rows in this table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cartesian product. Yeah. AKA disaster. Because yeah. it's exactly. also useless. Yeah. That's it is. the kicker. You've indexed yeah. everything. But so he thought and it does that nothing. The more we index, the faster it'll go. Is that what he uh, thinking? No, of? I think he basically just said, okay, I need to index. So the problem was that you had collections and you had, okay, I need to be able to, to get the VIN number of every uh, piece of the car. So you mm -hmm. have wheels, you have uh, engine parts, you have entertainment system. So I thought the last time we talked, or one yeah. of the last times we talked, you said that indexing sort of happens, and yes. you guys just do your own sort of indexing on the, on mm -hmm. the background threads, yeah. but you can also specifically say, I want these things indexed. Yeah, so 
for the most part when you talk about revenue DB it really depends on what what sort of questions do you want to ask okay. so if you want to say give me all of the orders by customer X order by date you don't need to explicitly create an index for that right only the only thing that you need to do is you know make the query we have a query optimizer it will create all of the required infrastructure mm. for you to actually do whatever you need right uh, which the, is great yeah the problem is what happened when you what you want is more complex than that for example I want to find all of the restaurants within five miles from here I want to do mm. a full text search on the reviews for those restaurants right. uh, maybe I want to do a map reduce aggregation on a ranking per those reviews that sort mm-hmm. of things All of those things would uh, cannot be handled by the core optimizer because it doesn't have enough information so yeah. you go ahead and define an index for yourself got it uh, and then it just you know gets picked up and handled that so the problem stems from the fact that this guy didn't know enough about the raven DB's indexing yeah to fig to know what was a good index yeah um I, I think that he basically tried to do you know the Uh, the most obvious thing and the most obvious thing in this case was wrong yeah since then we came back and says okay let's put a let's put a a barrier here that if you do if you do try to do this again in trio mm. this is going to fail this is going to fail very immediately and very obviously got it so and you put some logic into Raven DB yes. that says if somebody tries to do something dumb indexing yeah. wise yeah We say, so, hey, you really want to do that? Yes. <laughs> not a good idea. Are you have to sure? tell me, yes, I actually do want to shoot my own foot off. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You really not care about that foot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes you actually do need to do those kind of crazy things, but uh, sure. we want to make that to be an explicit choice and... With user actually understanding yes this is what I meant to do so they're looking at the two hour yes. index time and going awesome yeah not why did it take so long exactly right I yeah. mean that's part of the challenge mm-hmm. it's neat to hear this diversity of, of projects using yeah. Raven too that's got to be fun for you yeah uh, we have everything from banks healthcare uh, real estate for some reason really loves us oh really yeah I don't know we have a lot of real estate companies Yeah. Uh, Uh, I mean, that's classic document database yeah. stuff real estate yeah. entries right yeah also point of sales we have a, a lot of them uh, CMS those kind of things uh, the, people ask me okay what is it good for and I'm my answer is storing data storing <laughs> OLTP data <laughs> Uh, this sort of sells into what I, the comment I was reading from Ola earlier mm-hmm. too this idea that all database say they're good at storing data yeah but there is a point to be made about what kind of data yes and what Ola basically said was something very important um, the kind of data that you're looking at mm-hmm. and the kind of work that you want to do it changes drastically with the type of information that you're working at. right so invoice and receive and something like that, This is how you think about them. those documents right and not only are the documents they are expected to be you know frozen in time and all sort of stuff like that that make it very easy to work with them yes uh, when and start- it's a philosophy piece yeah. here too. I want to even say a governance piece around store the data as you received it so that you sort of have evidence of mm-hmm. reality yeah and then decompose it into yeah. other forms so we even be a lot of the time what we're doing is take the document store it in the shape that is as close to you know what the user is working in as possible right. and then we have additional processes so you want to know how much money you made per product per month right that's a map reduced job 
you want and done asynchronously from the user. Yes. They're not waiting for you to do yes. that. Not only that, but think about it. Uh, how often do you actually need to have some kind of dashboard like a facility in your application? Mm-hmm. Uh, a real example. If you go to my blog, there is here the number of total blog posts that I've made. Right. And this is the number of a post per category. Yes. Now, if I wanted to do something like that in a relational database, you know, okay, that's a relatively simple uh, group by. Yeah, it's an aggregate. Yes. Mm-hmm. The only problem is that every single page that I'm going, every single page hit, that means that it's going to go to the database, run the aggregation over the entire data set. Right. Now, what Just to get a number. Yes. Now, what happened if what you wanted to do is whenever I open a customer, I want to see how many orders I have for this customer this year and how much money I made for this customer. Right. Same reasonable thing to look when mm-hmm. I'm looking at the customer. Now, what happened if I have, you know, 100,000 customers and 10 million orders? Right. I'm opening the customer page and just for, you know, these two lines that I'm not even looking at. You may or may not need at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So I'm going to spend, you know, two minutes just crunching throughout the entire data set. Yeah. With Revenue, what we're doing, we would define that as a map reduce operation. It's running the background and it's running the background in a a way that allows us to do things uh, Mm -hmm. incrementally. So uh, when you have a new order, we take, okay, this is the customer. Let's take our previous already pre-computed data and add that to it. So right. it's a very cheap operation. Now, when you ask me how much, uh, uh, how much, how many orders this customer had for uh, this year, uh, instead of doing an ON operation on the entire, uh, on, on all of the orders that you have, right. we have to do an O log N operation and not on all of the orders, we have to do on the aggregate order per customer. Right. So mm-hmm. O in of 10 million versus O log N of 100,000. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to, you know, a totally different ways of working. And even if you don't uh, uh, think about it, think about the implication of doing that. You can't hit the server all the time with, you know, do this big aggregation query. Right. So you have to do caching. When you have to do caching, you have to do things like uh, caching validation. Right, Expir- mm-hmm. expiration. Yes, and then just the amount of complexity just for, you know, two lines of two lines of It's just a number. Text. Yeah. yeah, it's not that big a deal. Right. Yeah, and you spend two weeks on that. With yeah. MNDB, you just say, okay, I'm just trying, trying that, trying it over there, and everything is handled. That's awesome. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is. Ah, it must be that happy time again. You know it. Time to create a RavenDB index based on every joke I've ever told on .NET Rock shows. <laughs> Times every listener who's ever laughed at them. Oh, look at that. It only took two microseconds. <laughs> <laughs> You're a little hard on yourself, Carl. I have peed my pants over a couple of those jokes. Okay, well, not all of them. But <laughs> anyway, it's actually time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who won today, join Telerik experts for a DevCraft release webinar on October 29th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Learn what's new in the Q3 release and how Telerik can help you create compelling mobile experiences with your .NET skills. You'll see how to use the new adaptive lightweight RAD grid for ASP.NET AJAX, specifically built for mobile. Also, you'll see how to build your apps once and deploy them on all Windows devices with Telerik UI for Windows Universal. And you'll learn how to create compelling cross-platform native mobile experiences with Telerik UI for Xamarin. Sign up now at Telerik.com slash DevCraftQ3. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? 
Today's winner is Bert McKay. Congratulations, Bert. Yeah. And people are always surprised when they win, and uh, it's just great. I, this is my favorite part of the yep. show, because we get to make people happy. Giving away the good stuff. Yeah. And Bert just won a Telerik DevCraft collection, and a big pile of awesome from Telerik. If you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, which have been updated, by mm -hmm. the way, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we give away great sponsor stuff, most every show. Almost every yeah, show. Almost every show. And if we don't give it away, hey, that could be you. Yeah, it's an right. advertising opportunity. It's an opportunity. And every December, we give away $5,000 to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And, uh, of course, we like to ask our guest, Oren, if you had $5,000 US to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? Right now, nukes. Nux. Nux. Yeah, you want to nuke too. Nukes. Oh, hey now. Whoa. It's going to cost you a little more than 5000 <laughs> Yeah, Nux. Yeah, those are. That's pretty cool stuff, isn't yeah. it? I'm especially thinking uh, in terms of being able to take, you know, a cluster of them around. Yes. 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 Yeah. That's just going to be fun. It's just amazing. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So I, I like I said uh, at the beginning of the show, um, just this morning, I'm sitting here and talking to Richard, and I said, "Yeah, it's time to buy one of these things," and uh, I can't wait. Oh it's yeah. Going to come in the studio in a few days and. I'll let you know what happens. You'll have some fun with it. Yep. I have a place for it and everything. A place. Yeah. And I, I do. Yeah. And even fully loaded, I mean, under $1,000, you can get a handful of them. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I'm just I'm just thinking about a place. What do you need? Like. Oh, it's my uh, mantle. Yeah. 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 It's my mantle. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, And those little ones, the little, little ones actually have 100 millimeter Visa mounts on them. So you can bolt them to, to the, the back Visa mount of yeah. monitor. The back of monitor. Yeah. yeah. That I'm actually cool. thinking about doing that on a 46-inch TV. Yeah. And that would be a machine. It's exactly what I'm going to do with it. Yeah. And uh, I have a machine on my mantle right now, It's a, but it's a bigger machine. It's a sort of a mini PC, mm -hmm. mini ITX kind of yeah. thing. Mm -hmm. But it's loud. Yeah. And, and that's the biggest thing is can you get them silent? And these things yeah. are silent. Yeah. Yep. Gadgety good. Can't wait. Yeah. And I'm probably going to open source the software that I've been using on it, oh. which I'll talk about at a later time all right um oren you've been entirely too reasonable through this entire show <laughs> yes i know i would like a little ranting now please so i'm going to bring up microsoft azure document db you wrote a lovely blog post <sighs> by the way it was a good one okay yeah Love so it. my main gripe about that is with the marketing department and why do you call it a document db let's back up what is it what is it really? What does Microsoft say it is and what is it? They're calling it a fully managed, highly scalable, no SQL document database service. And it is in preview. It's not even a yeah. 1.0 product. All right. So the problem is how do you define no SQL? You define no SQL as not only SQL. So everything is no SQL. A pen is no SQL. Right. Uh, so, but there are expectation about what a document database is supposed to be. First of all, yeah. to establish your credibility, did you take it for a spin? Did you try uh, it? I tried it, yes. Um, okay. I spent about 12 hours looking of the documentation, how it works, what it does, it. stuff like that. Okay. Uh, the interesting thing about it is that, um, let's start, let's start with the thing that I really like, uh, the, Backend operation, they haven't talked about it much, so a lot of what I'm saying is speculation. But the backend operation is basically a distributed store for 
uh, your data and it's supposed to handle um, lots and lots and lots of data. Right. Right. Well, we'd expect that from Azure. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on. Okay, how do you do uh, query polarization? How you do a, distrib- a, a, a distribution of data, management, all sorts of stuff like that is really okay. interesting. Mm-hmm. When it comes to actually using that, that's when you start, re- that, that's when you start to realize that uh, there are significant issues with you. Probably the most significant issue is that um, you have the notion of a uh, documents and collection, and so far it's very common. Uh, most document database has this notion. Pretty normal stuff, yeah. Yeah. So, but the problem is a document in a Azure Document DB is a maximum of 16 kilobytes. 16? 1K. 6K, yes. Just to give you some uh, idea about how limiting this is, the blog post describing my exploration into Azure DB is over 16 kilobytes. I mean, that's almost just value key store yes. size. Yes. And or even key with, value pairs. Yeah. In, in, even then, okay, what can you store in a 16 kilobyte? It turns out not that much. So you're saying, just to recap what you're saying, this is the, the limit? The, that's the document? physical limit per document. Yes. Okay. Now, so now, is there any indication that they expect that to get bigger? Uh, the, the documentation suggests that this is a, something that you can ask to increase. I would expect that a user would say, uh, would push to that and they would presumably allow you to increase that. The only problem is that, uh, if your entire system was conceived and designed around small documents and 16 kilobyte is very small document. Right then there are going to be inefficiencies when you start talking about larger documents. Mm-hmm. Now, I know what the document size that our customers are using, and a lot of the time we're talking about in the tens and hundreds of kilobytes is the common size. Right. It's very common to have multiple megabytes as a document size, especially when you start thinking about, okay, let's talk about... Um, so one of our customers is using RevenV to handle IRS uh, submissions in Italy. Okay. So you're talking about a questionnaire that have over 1,200 questions that you have to answer to yeah. submit mm. something like that. Even if you're completely digitizing that, you're not taking copies yeah. of the paper. You are taking digital entries for everything. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fairly hefty. Yeah. And, you know... That's not, that's not even talking about uh, when you have to do a lot of text or uh, some sort of binary data or, or something like that. Uh, so that was the first thing that really, okay, that's bad. Uh, the other thing that uh, was annoying is they don't have any notion about I want to do something over more than a single document. Right. So um, you can query. Okay, give me all of the uh, invoices from last year, for example, Mm -hmm. and that's great. But you can't, you don't have any way of saying, okay, give me all of the, uh, give me the count of all of the documents for last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if, by the way, right now in the preview, they're doing stuff that was making me really cringe. So let's say that you have, you know, 100,000 documents uh, on, on the last year. So um, the server API limits you to some number of records that you do it. 
but there is no way to actually do paging from the client side currently. Okay. So what they're doing, they are, you have 100,000 uh, records in the result set, then it will perform 1,000 requests to the server to get just to get the entire thing, even, even if you try to specify something like a take or a skip or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a client side issue. I don't believe, th- I believe that this is something that will be fixed fairly quickly. But the thing about not being able to do anything beyond a single document is extremely limiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, to no sets of any kind. Yeah. So you can say, give me all of the invoices for customer whose name is John. Right. And you don't have, so there are joints in the syntax that they uh, talk about, but they're all internal joints inside the same document. Oh, interesting. So if you have an invoice, you can join to the line items inside the invoice document. Okay. But you can't, you can't. Inside of 16K. Inside of 16K, yes. If you can actually get identifying information and line items in 16K. Yeah. Then you can do a join within that. Yeah. Isn't that more relational than document centric? Yeah. Sort of. I mean. Yeah. I, I, I sort don't. Of, one of the big benefits of document storage is being able to put a, a rich set of data in a document yeah so that's true but there are kind of there are typical data sets that you don't want to put inside a, a document you want to put it in the reference document a typical example would be okay I want to search all of the um, if you have a dog the dog has an owner you, you usually won't put the owner's name inside the dog document. Mm-hmm. You'd right. have a reference to its ID. Right. And now what you want to do, I want to search dogs by their owner name. Yeah. So if you want to do that with RevenDB, you define an index that during the indexing process, we pull the name of the uh, owner from the relevant document and we store it in, uh, in the index. And now you can actually search on that. If uh, that owner document has changed, we will automatically re-index all of the dogs for this owner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we basically keep everything in sync. Uh, there is no way of doing something like that in a, in ADB, in Azure Document Database. Uh, there is no way of actually optimizing data access. So mm. l- think about the, wow. think about a very simple scenario. Uh, you want to show the five most recent orders. And their customer, the name of their customer. Yeah. There is the only way to do that in uh, ADP is to actually do a query. Give me the first five uh, customers, the first five uh, orders. Then for each of them, you have to go and individually get the uh, customer. Right. You have to pull it all down to the client yes. first and then one yeah. at a time. Yeah. So, so what you end up doing is select n plus one. So you're doing your own database stuff, basically. Yeah, you have to do. You basically have to do the join on the client yeah, side. Yeah, that's uh, not good. Yeah, if you have, if you were doing that in RevenDB, then you can say, okay, I'm go- give me the first five uh, orders. Yeah. Look at the customer ID property, and fetch me the relevant documents as well. So when I'm asking for give me the relevant document, right. It's already there for you. Mm-hmm. So this, do you think that they, they just want to put something out there to let people know that they're working on this and this is where they start? Did, I mean, did they have a clear map going forward of what they wanted to do? Nothing public that I've seen. Really? Uh, 
Okay. And, and you know what? Even to the... Let me put it this way. Here's something that they say that they're going to fix. Right now, you don't have an order by. Mm. When I said, give me the most recent orders, mm. five most recent orders, that's something that ADB can't do. Yeah, yeah. Now, presumably, that's something that there was a comment in a blog that says, oh, yeah, we are looking at that. But the problem is that, I don't know, maybe it's uh, unbiased, obviously, but how do you have a database that doesn't handle ordering? Yeah, well, it is a preview right. product, so, yeah. you know, not ready for prime time. Yeah, but the problem is that the problem of doing distributed sorting yeah, yeah. on query result isn't a trivial one. Right. So uh, sure. I absolutely see it. Okay, you have ordering, but the order, but the cost of ordering is, you know, uh, not trivial on large data sets. Yeah. If you have, you know, 100 million orders and you want to order them by date, that's kind of something that you have to think about uh, uh, up front. Yeah. So you, you think they probably shouldn't have released any, released it until it had a, just at least a core set of features that made it usable. I just wonder who it's for at this point. Like, What's the demo app? What's the, the space that it's got sufficient features for? To my knowledge, OneNote. Hmm. And as I understand it, OneNote is where it's grew up. And, oh, and so it's like a derived from OneNote. Yeah. Hmm. And I think that they said, okay, we have this thing. Let's make this a product. Uh, OneNote certainly does have a 16K limitation on. Yeah. Just, that, that seems like a showstopper for most people listening to this going, should I use ADB or not? It's like, well, there's nothing I've got that's that small. Yeah. So yeah. I'm kind of done. Yeah. The, the only thing I would be more concerned about is what's the future of this thing, right? I mm -hmm. mean, yeah. And it doesn't seem like there's a, well, from what you're saying anyway, it doesn't seem like there's yeah. a clear path forward. Yeah. Look, again, it's a preview. And to be fair, preview, yeah. if you want to compare Revity preview to what we have today, that yeah, is night and day. It's night and day. But, Right now, there's a lot of, it's not even something that you can say, okay, it's, we have a long product cycle, we're going to be out in a year, it's going to be improved. You can't even say that because, you know, yeah. no order buy. You, you mentioned the 16K, mm -hmm. sure, yeah. leave it aside, you don't have order buy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you want to do things like, okay, give me the count of orders per customer, mm -hmm. Well, get ready to do an ETL process where you suck the entire data from right. ADB. Look every document. Yeah, yes. By the way, it. paying for every request that you're making to yeah. it. Yeah. So I know this isn't an infomercial, but mm -hmm. I, I always want to, I'm curious as to what you say when people come up to you, and you must get this a lot. Why should I go with RavenDB over MongoDB? Because you won't lose so much hair. Because what? Because you won't lose your hair. Because you won't lose your hair. Right? Yes. Okay. Uh, and specifically, what gripes do you have with so MongoDB? MongoDB, from the get-go, focused on getting performance before everything else. And that was, I think, at the expense of a lot of other stuff. Specifically, safety, a, a manageability, and you know, just getting things working. So it's very easy to get a really impressive uh, benchmark of let's store data into MongoDB and see how it works. Mm -hmm. But to actually get data into a MongoDB and make sure that it's there, you have to be very familiar with how Mongo works, with how it's distributed. Make yeah. sure it's there. So you're suggesting that it goes away if yeah. you don't pay attention? So the default approach is that you throw data into Mongo, it writes it to memory, and if you pull the plug, then 
hopefully you will only have data loss. Oh. That's that's the best case scenario in some ca- in, in the, so this case. The memory cache is big for writing. Yeah, big I mean writing. it's wonderful. You can throw as much data as I you mean, want. I mean big, large. It's a large yeah. memory cache for writing. Yeah, but the problem the problem again uh Everything that I'm saying, it's possible it is out of date. Okay. But uh, I haven't looked at Mongo that deeply for a very long time. Okay. But at one point, if you pull down the plug, then data loss wouldn't be your concern. You would want to have data loss because you would have data corruption right. in the database. And then you have to run a tool to clean up all of the uh, files, and only then would you be able to go up again. Uh, is data corruption a problem with other databases? I mean... Certainly, if you pull the plug on uh, anything that's in the middle of writing a file, no. do you have data corruption? No. Every, uh, I think that um, like several years ago, Richard had uh, said that database vendors no longer come to uh, conferences with a mobile hard disk and pull the plug. Yeah, it's a thing. Yeah. You know, that's the, the whole, um, and I don't know non-relational databases well enough to speak to this, but I know SQL Server pretty darn well and yeah. other relational databases too. And it was one of the core demos. Right. The whole reason you have a transaction log is the moment you say that transaction is completed, it's in the log. It's not written to the database yeah, yet. Yeah. Yeah. And so the engine of the database is all about figuring out that corruption. Have yeah. we properly written this transactional log, yeah, log entry it. into the tables? All right. Yeah. And it can recover from that. Mm-hmm. That being said... You can still get corruption, you know. The sure you bottom can. line is, if a disk fails and there's a chunk of a table that's been damaged, it's damaged. And there is also a case of what sort of guarantees is the database uh, relying on? Right. If you go, if the database says, "Okay, take this chunk and write it to the disk, and make sure it hits the actual platter," and the disk driver lies about that, yeah. Mm. There we is had, absolutely nothing. Like we had controllers like that that had memory on the controller yeah. and then would write later, and they had batteries on them. And if those batteries yeah. failed and you yeah. lost the power, you've been lied to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at that point, you know, there isn't anything a database can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but you know, I thought it really interesting as the NoSQL movement started to bounce up and become a thing. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't as a good SQL guy, I still wasn't opposed to it because we've been abusing relational databases yeah. for a long time. You're putting yes, stuff in there that's just not supposed to be in mm-hmm. there. But we had had these ACID compliant databases for so long, people didn't even know what it meant anymore. Yeah. And they just presumed that every data store was like that. Yes. And my reaction when these things first came along was, well, hey, let's go back to what we were talking about in the 80s about relational databases. And and do they have atomicity and consistency and isolation and durability? And, like, are and, those and things there? That's the one thing that uh, I well, saw. When you it, caught this right away. And I pointed yeah. it out. The first thing I looked at when you were working on Raven yeah. is like, dude cares about acid, yeah. I like you. Yeah. Right? So uh, there is a couple of ways to look at acid. There is acid, you pull the plug from the machine when it's running, right. and it's back up, and you have binary choice. Either the transaction is there, or it's completely not there. Right. And you know what? That's one side of things. Yeah. The other side of things is not just what happened to the transaction when the machine crashes. Mm-hmm. What happened when you, know, you have a machine that is up and running, and you hit an arrow. Right. And you want to mm. be able to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go and look at the Mongo documentation right now, they still have this, you know, pretty much a dissertation. They pretty much have a dissertation there for 
uh, how to implement two-phase commit on top of Mongo. Okay. And I really like, at the end, it says, this is a simplified explanation. You probably need to do more in the real world. So, uh, and I'm looking at that, and you know what? I write transactional system for living. I write the actual way that they handle transactions. Right. You have to deal with concurrency, a failure mode. Uh, what happened if, you know, someone called prepare on the transaction and then the system crash and then you reset and then there is a timeout and you can't talk to the transaction yeah. manager. Yes. The number of variables that you have to consider is huge. And then he says, okay, we have a database. We don't do transaction. That's your responsibility. Right. And I, it, that's, that's annoying. crazy from, yeah. my, from my perspective. Well, Orin, uh, we, we've been uh, running out of time mostly because the somebody needs this room. But uh, So we'll have to have you back maybe uh, to follow up. But that's uh, it sounds great. And uh, as always, thanks for your great work. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.